Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, um, let's catch up first of all and talk about some of the soccer that we've been watching le- recently, either in person or on television. Uh, for me, it, it's been a crazy couple of weeks of watching everything from the uh, the Bundesliga 2, uh, the, the opening uh, kickoff in that game, which was uh, Hamburg against Schalke, and then watching a bunch of um, European soccer friendlies, you know, Juventus against Real Madrid, uh, Chelsea against Fulham, uh, Brighton against Newcastle, uh, as well as my team, Swansea, preseason friendlies, Liverpool against Bayern, uh, Inter Miami, of course, against uh, a lot of these other teams out here. I mean, Atlanta United, but most recently, Orlando City. So basically, uh, watching lots of friendlies, watching um, Leagues Cup and, and some other Leagues Cup games too. Um, that's been my last week or so just uh watching those i know and, and, and a little bit of women's world cup a little bit here a little bit there but i know yours Kartik, is probably completely different what what have you been watching either in person or uh, on television yeah so in person i went to the gulf coast premier league's finals weekend uh both on the men's and women's side in that regional league uh, i've been watching uh usl league two playoffs and npsl playoffs and every minute of the women's world cup uh, I've watched a little bit of League's Cup. I have not watched a single minute of a European club friendly. Uh, although I guess maybe the MLS All-Star game counts as that. So then, with the exception of the MLS All-Star game, I haven't watched any European clubs at all. Um, so it's kind of a completely different subset of uh, uh, of soccer that I'm watching. And, and, and it's, uh, it's something I'm finding very uh, frequently. Like people are either, and I think the division is really now really people are either watching the league's cup or they're watching um, the women's world cup. And there's a clear divide on that. That's going on. Yeah. I think it's, uh, well, I, th- I think you have the, those, those different uh, subsets, right? The, the people watching uh, league's cup, which is mostly watching into Miami games You've got the subset of people watching Women's World Cup, and then you have another subset, which is probably miscellaneous, which would be watching everything from European friendlies to uh, in the Bundesliga 2, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's other leagues uh, that are happening right now, too. I mean, the Scottish League Cup have been having games, stuff like that, pretty much miscellaneous uh, category. And I think I think that's that's my, my feeling is in terms of with the Messi games, watching those with Inter Miami, that to me at least, 
they've become a must-watch. Um, every single game that um, I mean, Inter Miami has played with Messi, Busquets, and now uh, Jordi Alba, to me, have been a must-see. Uh, so much so that I think they're eating into the Women's World Cup uh, viewership. And, and the reason for that, uh, why I say that, is it's almost impossible to watch the Women's World Cup and the League's Cup. It's it's almost like you have to make a choice because, I mean, most most of us work you know, from nine to five, uh, whatever the hours are, uh, and then we may watch, say, a League's Cup game or a, you mean one of these uh, the Soccer Champions Tour as an example, which has been playing to mostly sold out stadiums, and pretty decent viewership on ESPN and ESPN two, uh, and then go to bed and then repeat the same thing the next day. Um, the Women's World Cup, for me personally, has just kind of been left out because, I mean, I can't function uh, with, with uh, like, no sleep. So so I, I know it, it, it is almost a choice. You have to decide, okay, are you going to be watching, um, I mean, those games, whether it's League's Cup or European friendlies, or are you watching Women's World Cup? And, and I, I don't think you can do both. No, no, you can't. And in fact, for me, what's ended up happening, I traveled this past weekend to go to those finals and, and had to kind of scramble to catch up on Women's World Cup action. Um, although it's funny, you know, at, at the final, everybody was talking about the Women's World Cup and not talking about League's Cup. But I know if I went to some random game somewhere else, it would probably be the opposite. But here's what's happened to me. Like the first few days of the Women's World Cup, you and I spoke about this on the last podcast. We've spoken about this privately. I tried to stay up and watch every game live. And it threw my sleeping patterns off. It was affecting my work. Uh, you know, people that I work with were complaining, right? You know, you're, you're half asleep at 1 p.m. So then I decided, okay, I'll start DVRing all the matches, but watch them in their entirety, which I've done since. Now, what that does, Chris, is that uh, ruins your appetite to watch any other soccer during the day. So now I'm watching Women's World Cup matches when I wake up or in between things with work or work commitments, et cetera, family commitments. And I'm caught up with the tournament. I've watched every game in the tournament uh, in its entirety at some point, whether it was live or uh, a day later, uh, whatever. But that means I'm not watching any other soccer basically, because then that's my soccer viewing during the day when maybe I would be focused on leagues cup or uh, uh, friendlies, you know, the, uh, the, the champions soccer champions tour or what have you. So, um, this, you know, this has kind of happened before when we've had uh, international tournaments that have been July-August tournaments, whether it's the Olympics or there have been some years Gold Cup has been late, um, but never right, not never to this extent. We, I, I don't think um, in the past when we've had late Women's World Cups, I remember even the 2007 Women's World Cup was taking place in September and October, if I remember correctly, um, that... Um, the competitiveness of the women's game is at such a level now that uh, you can't just assume someone's going to win a game and, and not pay attention to the tournament and say, okay, I know who's going to be in the quarterfinals and the semifinals. I'll pick it up then. Uh, in fact, uh, and maybe this is an, another topic for discussion, Chris, this tournament has been more competitive than any men's tournament, I remember. I mean, it's just crazy how the women's game went from being, I think, far less competitive at the international level than the men's uh, game. I mean, there's still five or six countries every men's World Cup that can win a World Cup, you think, but it's limited to that that, that subset. Um, 
to the women's game now being like the 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 the, the nations with pedigree or the ones that are really struggling in this tournament like every uh former world cup winner with the exception of japan has struggled in this tournament every uh world cup finalist you know teams that have gotten to the finals and maybe not won the world cup uh with the exception of uh, uh of again of japan and and maybe you could argue uh um the netherlands to a certain extent has struggled in this tournament so it's just crazy um and that's making it more essential to keep up and watch every game which is taking away from other soccer for someone like me so outside of the U.S. women's national team, in terms of the viewership that they've been getting uh, for their games, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? And what I mean by that is, are people, yeah, yes, the Women's World Cup in terms of Germany crashing out and you mean Jamaica making it through and, and Colombia and, and all these great stories, which does show a, an enormous uh, change in the Women's World Cup game in terms of these uh, countries in the past that would not have been able to knock out these bigger teams. Uh, Brazil get, uh, not making it through to the next round. Yeah, but Canada, if, the reigning gold medalist. That's a big one. Yeah. But if if very few people are actually paying attention to it, does it matter? Well, I think, uh, I think it, mat- it matters. But I, the feeling I'm getting is very few people are paying attention to it other than the U.S. women's national team fans watching those games. Yeah, in the U.S. I mean, in England, there's a frenzy going on, which you would expect. And, and it's going to be interesting with the Premier League, uh, well, the championship and EFL kicking off this week and the Premier League next week, uh, where where the fandom goes. Because uh, uh, Kira Walsh is injured, right? I mean, she's got a serious Achilles injury, but there's, uh, there's, uh, there's just a feeling now that England is the team, right? They're the favorite because of all of these other things that have happened. And in England, like, it's starting, like, it's coming home, that, that talk. Um, so that's, that's interesting, but in the U S you know, what we're concerned about on this podcast. Yeah, I think you're right outside of the women's national team. And in fact, you mentioned, you mentioned Germany, you mentioned Brazil. Uh, I just mentioned Canada, uh, and the great stories for Jamaica, Morocco, South Africa, et cetera. Um, there seems to be so little attention being paid to the rest of the tournament by many in the U.S. I don't think they realize Canada is out. You know, a, a big favorite is out. Brazil is out. A, a, you know, a big favorite. Germany, the other kind of rival in terms of winning lots of things in the women's game to the U.S. is out. And the U.S., for all their problems, are still standing. So um, that goes to your point that people aren't paying attention to the rest of the tournament because actually of the nations with significant pedigree and having won things recently— um, um, the United States is really the one still standing, other than England, obviously. Yeah, and and, and what I said too it wasn't meant to be a criticism of women's soccer. I mean, I'm a big fan of women's soccer. It's more so in terms of just the playing times, the, the kickoff times. Is it's almost? I mean, unless you choose to watch the women's World Cup, you mean and you mean and don't have anything happening during the daytime. You're sleeping during the daytime and watching the games at night. Uh, or, or you're in college or, or you're in high school and you've got the summer off and you can do that and watch as many games as possible. Uh, for the most, for the, mass, the vast majority of us in the U.S., working day jobs for the most part, uh, it's almost impossible to really kind of cover or, or even to watch the Women's World Cup in, in as much, uh, I mean, as many games as we would the Men's World Cup Um just because of the kickoff times, not because of, of a choice between the one one or the other. 
and this this is really important in terms of the U.S.'s failure to win its group because FIFA assumed, obviously, the U.S. have won the last two Women's World Cups. Uh, FIFA tailored the kickoff times of both the U.S. group, uh, two of the three U.S. group games, and then the knockout stages where they thought the U.S. would progress in the bracket to U.S. primetime television. So, in fact, now what's going to happen is the Netherlands are going to be playing in U.S. primetime television, and (laughs) the U.S. is going to be playing overnight in the U.S. because they failed to win the group. So, even more costly in terms of getting people interested in the tournament is the U.S.'s uh, uh, futzing around in these last two matches, for lack of a better term, because um, they they, they now have really blown it for Fox and for for, uh, Telemundo in terms of viewers because of uh, not winning the group. Uh, because, in fact, the U.S. games, as I think you probably have noticed, too, from doing the television schedules, Chris, have been isolated from the rest. The U.S. and Canada games, actually, have been isolated from the rest of the tournament in order to maximize potential viewership in those two countries. Um, and the times of the rest of the games in the tournament have been just kind of standard local time. And now the U.S. and Canada have both screwed that up. Yeah, and and that's the thing though too is that so the U.S. women's national team game, the next game where they play uh, Sweden in the second round, um, that one is at five a.m. Eastern time, and I mean if they had finished first in the group, that game would have been played at ten p.m. Eastern time. Uh, is a, a huge difference between you mean most of us probably can say like, hey, we'll stay up from ten to midnight, no problem, watch the the game. But if it's a five o'clock in the morning Eastern time. I mean, five to seven, do we get up early and watch that? I mean, but but the other part of this, though, too, Kartik, and this is completely by coincidence, is it seems that almost every single game that Messi's played with Inter Miami has conflicted with the U.S. women's national team. Not not completely at the same time, except for the first game, right? Their first game against uh, Cruz Azul, which was um, both games were played at almost the same exact time. Uh, the other games, too, I mean, even this game against... Um, um, the, uh, which, which game was it? It was the yeah the Miami game against uh, Orlando was on the same day as the U.S. game, and you I mean it, it's you I mean one's in the morning, one's at night. But in order to watch, if you want to try to watch both, you I mean unless you're <laughs> you, you you can survive on just a couple of hours of sleep, it's really really difficult. So, so that that's in, and, another... and the other piece of that, honestly, Chris, is that because the U.S. has been playing so poorly in this tournament, uh, in you know, you might have just had like the normal, hey, you know, the game's over, we talk for a few minutes, and then you're on to watching Orlando versus Miami, you're watching Messi. Um, but because the U.S. has played so poorly, like the the community that's concerned about U.S. soccer has been. Uh, texting and calling each other about what a disaster uh, this U.S. team is and how bad the coaching is and all, you know, all the talking points. And that's then kind of affected our ability to view <laughs> the League's Cup matches. So it's it's also a byproduct of the U.S. being so poor in this tournament. I yeah. mean, I, I can't stress how I know there are a lot of men's national team fans who are like, oh, well, Burhalter sucks and, you know, we should have done more. But no, I mean, the U.S. is what they are in the men's game. And, and I think we vastly overrate our players. And round of 16 is basically the ceiling in my maybe you get to the quarterfinals with a little better coach or better luck but the u.s women's national team is the gold standard in the in in the women's game and the performances in this tournament have been worse than the u.s men's performances in the world cup worse Mm -hmm. i I mean maybe the results have been similar but the performances themselves have been worse so the alarm bells are going off and because of that we're not focusing on other things honestly 
Yeah, the, the fact that even Leagues Cup is eating into some of the viewership of the U.S. Women's National Team games, uh, or, or the Women's World Cup games especially, uh, is definitely a plus in the favor of the Leagues Cup and Major League Soccer and Liga Mackies, where, say, maybe without Messi in this competition and without Busquets and without Alba, maybe people would really not pay much attention at, at all. Um, so that's good news for Leagues Cup in that they are battling, you mean, head-to-heads with the Women's World Cup and people like ourselves and, and listeners and, and others are having to make choices between, okay, which ones do I watch or do I skip the Leagues Cup completely and watch the European friendlies um, almost every night, really, uh, on television or at ESPN+. Plus. Going back to the Women's World Cup, what you mentioned too, Kartik, about the U.S. Women's National Team uh, so far, so underwhelming in terms of the performances. What did you make of uh, Carly Lloyd's comments about uh, the U.S. women's national team uh, post-match where she was criticizing Megan Rapino and, and teammates for dancing and celebrating for getting a nil-nil draw against Portugal and moving through to the next round? Well, Carly Lloyd was on a team in 2015 that underwhelmed in the group stage now. We were all tweeting at the time, free Carly, and Carly got freed because of uh, Lauren Halliday's suspension, and she got pushed forward, and Morgan Bryan got put in the team. I think I've told the story a million times, so um, <laughs> no need to repeat it. And she then had an epic knockout stage, and, and we won the World Cup. But um, getting through the group still means something because, look, Germany is out. Canada is out. Um, Brazil is out. So I don't, I don't buy that completely, and I think, unfortunately— um, it's a hard game. Portugal, yes, I know previous U.S. meetings versus Portugal, 10 meetings. We've outscored them 39-0. But as you and I both know, Chris, as people who follow the women's game, the European nations and now the African nations um, are catching up. Right? Africa has looked very good in this World Cup, by the way. Um, even Zambia, who got eliminated, the one African team not going to the knockout stages, uh, had, a, had a fairly good tournament. So um, I think it's a different different world. I don't uh, necessarily agree with Carly Lloyd saying like their priorities aren't winning. I, I don't think that's true at all. Um, that having been said, I do think she's right about the culture. There's something about the ruthlessness of the U.S. women's national team culture, which I think, by the way, had been lost prior to Carly Lloyd's generation. I think uh, we, we tend to uh, focus on the fact that the U.S. won all these gold medals in the Olympics, 2008, 2004, 2012. But really, at the World Cup level, we were, we were chasing games, and, and uh, we had one default tactic, which is to, flip, to, to, to play the ball forward to Abby Wambach and, uh, and hope she could make magic. 2003, 2007, 2011, this happened. 2008, we won the Olympics with her hurt, by the way. But 3, 7, and 11, this happened, and I didn't see any like progression. I just thought the U.S. was... Uh, when we got to the final in 2011, really lucky, and and, and Japan beat us. Um, but I, I I do think there's a lack of ruthlessness. But knockout stages are completely different. Um, I don't know if Carly Lloyd. I think she's right about the ruth the lack of ruthlessness and maybe the lack of leadership. I think this is why um, I don't like uh, Becky Sauerbrunn being hurt and not being on the team. I may have still burned the roster spot and taken her to the World Cup if she couldn't have played because of that leadership in the dressing room. And then uh, Kelly O'Hara, who I think is the, probably the most natural leader still on the roster, veteran leader, not really playing. Um, you need uh, other players in people's faces. You need other players leading. I, I think Julie Ertz may be the, the, the best leader left. Um, but 
I, I do think Carly Lloyd has a bit of an agenda, like because, I mean, she didn't like Vlatko as a manager. We know that. I think she's kind of right about the tactical naivety because I think if there's one real takeaway from this tournament, uh, Chris, and it's, it also includes like men's coaches now becoming coaches on the women's side, uh, coaching is making all the difference because the tournament is so balanced, tactics and coaching. But um, I didn't like her like criticizing the dancing and stuff because I think we still got out of the group and it was really nervy the last 10 minutes. So there's this kind of release, right? This release of tension. Okay, we can breathe now. And that lends itself to kind of, kind of what we saw um, because really based on the evidence in stoppage time, Portugal should have gotten a goal somewhere and uh, moved on and the U.S. would have been out. Yeah, I think actually from Carly Lloyd's uh, comments and criticizing the the some of the the teammates um, or former teammates on the U.S. Women's National Team, I think that's a good thing because from watching her in her analysis of the men's World Cup in Qatar, she was so milk toast throughout that entire tournament. Was so just would not say anything controversial. Would never give a really strong opinion. It was just so blasé, and it wasn't just her. It was. Lalas and, and the whole crew doing the men's World Cup in the studio. So finally, you got a little bit of a reaction, a little bit of a strong opinion out of her, um, criticizing just the players, kind of celebrating, making it to the second round. Yes, there was a, a sense of relief there, but to me, that's not a good look in terms of putting in a really poor performance uh, against uh, Portugal, poor performance really against Vietnam. That that that, that result should have been uh, much better. And and against the Netherlands too, right? It's just like, like basically three poor performances and you're celebrating and dancing, having fun. It's not a good look, especially for viewers who wake wake up at you mean three o'clock in the morning Eastern time and take time out of their day to watch that game, make a commitment, make a sacrifice to watch that game. And then they're just like laughing and having fun. You mean, yes, privately do that, but don't do that in front of the cameras. Focus on your game because your game is not good enough. And to me, Kartik, you may disagree with me, but I think the U.S. has got a really difficult time against Sweden. Uh, So, and, And even if they find some way to beat Sweden... It's likely that they'll play Japan in the next round, and yep. Japan will ab- absolutely beat them definitely. Yeah, uh, I think the, the Sweden thing minutes. is interesting because uh, no, no. So the thing I pointed out already is no two national teams in the world have had as much success against the United States in the U.S.'s period of hegemony of dominance of the women's game as Sweden and Japan, and those are the potential next two opponents. Now the question I have is maybe the tables turn because the U.S. is now an underdog. I mean, the U.S. has played Sweden in six straight World Cups and two straight Olympics, and the, the results are pretty mixed, right? Sweden has beaten the United States a lot, including in the last two Olympics, including the only group stage loss the U.S. has ever had in its history was to Sweden in 2011. Um, maybe the tables are turned with Sweden as, I think, the clear favorite, and then if the U.S. plays Japan, Japan is the overwhelming favorite. Um that having been said, I think the way uh, maybe they get lucky and they beat Sweden, as good as Sweden has been. But I think you're right about Japan. The way Japan sets up, the way they play, uh, the way they counter, the way they attack spaces, they'll, they'll probably rip this U.S. team apart. I mean, it might be as bad as the game against Brazil. Uh, let's not forget the U.S. lost to Brazil 3 or 4 nil in, in the uh, 2007 World Cup, uh, Women's World Cup. There was a dip at that point, and because the U.S. was still winning gold medals in the Olympics, we kind of historically don't focus on that. I, I think that a game against Japan could be as bad, quite honestly. Could be 3 or 4 nil. 
yeah, going back to uh, the Messi and Inter Miami effect and, and having people watch more of the League's Cup, um, the viewership is okay. And that's the thing too. Again, it's it's the the black box. Nobody knows how many people are actually watching the games on MLS season pass. Could they be in the millions? Could they be in the hundreds of thousands? Could be the, could be uh, could they be in the tens of thousands? Nobody knows, and that, and that information is not being released. So all we have to go on is uh, the, the TV viewing numbers, uh, which aren't exclusive. So if Univision shows a game, or Unamas, or Tuduene shows a game, or, or FS1 shows a game, uh, also MLS Season Pass shows those games. And for the most part, from what we've seen with the League's Cup, FS1 numbers have been really low. Uh, nothing, nothing big there at all. And Univision numbers have been a little bit lower than what uh, traditionally they would get for League MX. But again, some of those some of those viewers might be watching it on MLS Season Pass. But I would say, Kartik, I think if this continues the way it's heading, um, and and Messi's certainly and Inter Miami are certainly providing a great games to watch, uh, enthralling, really really fun games to watch. Um, this could have an impact on the Premier League viewing and viewership, which is going to start in about a week from now. If we're going to see situations again, too, where we've got, say, Inter Miami playing uh, FC Dallas, you mean, or maybe it's as they go through the, the rounds of this League's Cup, if they do progress, maybe they play in, in California and we have a game that's kicking off at I don't know, 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, is that that might impact Premier League viewership uh, in the mornings, kind of those early morning games, the 7.30 kickoff or you know, a 9 a.m. Eastern kickoff because people are then having to choose, okay, do I watch the late game with Messi with Inter-Miami or do I uh, not watch that and then get up really early to watch the Premier League? And that, for me, Kartik, I cannot remember the last time this happens where there's a possibility or that we're even having, having the discussion of Major League Soccer games impacting viewership of Premier League matches where, where you mean, hardcore soccer fans are having to make a choice. And maybe it was the Beckham era, but I don't remember it that way. What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, well, I mean, actually, in the Beckham era, MLS's ratings were pretty similar to Premier League's ratings, right? And the Premier League True. has taken off since then, and MLS has stayed stagnant in its numbers. So, yeah, I mean, since that point, it would be the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I, I know there are a lot of people who have gone to Premier League, uh, uh, what, are, what are they calling them, Summer Showcase, that tournament that Chelsea won. Uh, summer Series. Uh, summer Series uh, that NBC has shown the game. So I know people have been interested in that. But in, in my kind of my circle, um, it feels like the Premier League is less um, – less relevant or less talked about than ever, even at this stage of the summer when transfers are going on and everything is happening because of these two simultaneous events. Now, we knew the Women's World Cup would take away some of it uh, because that's always a big deal in the U.S., but League's Cup, credit to some in MLS and Liga Mekis. I mean, they had the vision for this thing. I mean, they didn't. we didn't know they were going to get Messi and Busquets, but um, yeah, I just feel like uh, it, it, it will eat into the Premier League uh, viewership, uh, but you know, the good news is uh, for, for the Premier League, right, they have a nine-month season. Uh, the viewership will recover. There will no doubt be uh, storylines of, of, of importance um, that, 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 that perk up. Uh, although, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss um, 
to describe why I would be excited about the Premier League season. I mean, other than uh, Pochettino uh, going to Chelsea and, and Villa making a couple of really key signings and wanting to see if they could push on, I'm just real and Luton being in the Premier League. That's very exciting. But uh, beyond that, it's like I'm not really uh, jazzed up for the season. I think I think maybe when the season kicks off, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. But yeah, yeah it, it's it's very weird at this point, and I think it's going to affect viewers. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, though, like almost every year, you, you're the same way, Kartik, where you're like going into it, like, ah, I'm not really excited. And then you start watching it and you're like hooked. I, I, and for me, I'm excited. You I mean, the Premier League is the best soccer league in the world. Uh, to me, it's the most you mean, fa- fascinating in terms of even the teams getting promoted from, from the championship up, teams getting relegated. And you look in, up and down, you mean, the Premier League. So many big transfer signings this summer, so many interesting stories that are going to really captivate and, and draw people to watching those matches. I mean, that, that's my opinion. But but watching the League's Cup, and again, going back to that black box where we don't know what the numbers are of people watching the League's Cup games, uh, in some ways, a lot of it comes then down to perception. Is the perception among you and I that a lot of people are actually really interested in League's Cup and watching the games because we don't know what those final numbers are. If we had those final numbers and compared it to, I don't know, Soccer Champions Tour that just ended, or the Gold Cup, or the um, the Premier League Summer Series, maybe they actually are nowhere near those numbers, right? And it could be that, you mean, they're actually that the perception of the competition is much greater than what the, the reality is. I think a lot of this is really the messy thing. The messy effect, the messy mania, whatever you want to call it, is there's so much hyper focus on every single thing that he does, which is fantastic, which is great. I'm 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 in on it too. It's it's great to watch. That um, I think people start to exaggerate, or people start to think that the the numbers are actually uh, greater what, than what they are. And, and I'll give you two examples real fast here too, because I. I'm kind of monitoring what people are saying just to see what they're saying and what numbers have been released. And this comes from the uh, Liga Mackey's uh, Liga, Liga uh, president, uh, Mikel Ariola. And he said in an interview this week with the Columbus Dispatch, he says, uh, we saw the second best match for TV 
in the history of the United States with soccer, which was the Messi game. Well, that is not true. <laughs> Unless he has some numbers that he's willing to share with uh, other journalists or... or, or with, it was with actually the, the second best match that night, actually, because the U.S. game still did like 7 million viewers on linear television. Right, exactly. exactly. So so by him saying that the Messi game, which I, I'd assume this is the one against uh, Atlanta United, maybe, or maybe it was a Cruz Azul game, by him saying that this was the, sec- the second best match for TV in the history of the United States, it's completely not true. And like you said, Kartik, even on that same night, uh, the U.S. women's national team had, had greater viewing numbers. And you go down the history of you know, even MLS games, the, the numbers that have been publicly made available in terms of viewership, those are much greater than what we were, you know, what, what was released from the uh, the Uni- Univision numbers for that uh, Cruz Azul Inter Miami game. So if he's willing to share those numbers from the Apple TV side of things to give us an idea of actually how many people are watching it, that's fantastic news. That's great. We'll publish it. We'll we'll go ahead and run and let people know. But by saying that in an interview. You mean it's it's completely not true? Yeah, and, and again, I, I mean that night, the night he's referring to, which is the Cruz Azul game. I have to assume he's referring to that because that's the only time uh, Miami right. played a, a Mexican team. Um, the Women's World Cup did seven million that night. I mean, all this malaise and 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 kind of angst about the 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 team hadn't set in yet at that point. Although that that Vietnam performance was underwhelming for sure, but still between Telemundo and uh, and and Fox. It was a, a, a ridiculously high number, and I it was a number that actually had me thinking, "Oh wow, uh, Women's World Cup is going to is going to be a bigger hit this time than it's ever been because we hadn't seen that sort of number in a first group game for the U.S. before." Uh, but unfortunately, the, the 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 combination of the timings and the U- U.S.'s play now has the thing petering out. But um, which I think you have to factor that into the League's Cup surge, Chris, is how poorly the U.S. has played and how in the Women's World Cup and how disappointed people have been by it. Yeah, so so that that's the first number I, I saw where I was like, wait, wait a second, what is that Liga MX uh, president saying? Because that is not true, completely not true. So there's a lot of exaggeration going on here. The second example, Kartik, just to talk about the Messi effect, which which again, before I mention this, Ian, yes, I'm sure numbers have gone through the roof in terms of merchandise, ticket sales, uh, social media interest, uh, and I'm sure viewership has gone up too. But those viewership numbers have not been released other than what Univision uh, shares well, through Nielsen as far as how many people are actually watching those games, which most of the games uh, in League's Cup are exclusive to MLS Season Pass. So the next example and final example, Kartik, because I, I could go on and on about, about this, but the, the reason I'm doing this too is I want to keep people within uh, in check. So when they say these things, if they're not true, someone should call them out on it because it's it's not fair. So the second example, and this is somebody that you and I both love, a, a person that, that we have a lot of time for, uh, we know very well, I, mean, I think he's a great analyst, I'm sure you, you do too, Kartik, Thomas Rongen. So Thomas Rongen is a CBS Sports uh, analyst, often appears on their coverage, you mean, especially on CBS Sports HQ, is a radio commentator for Inter Miami. So he was interviewed uh, this, this week on CBS uh, Miami, the local station. And he talked. He was asked about uh, the Messi effect or the Messi mania, and he said, um, "5.2 billion people saw Messi co- come on as a sub 
on Apple TV. And then he went on to go go ahead and say that the game was watched by more people around the globe than any other soccer game. Well, both of those things are not true. <laughs> so I called him out on it. I said, Thomas, like, where are you getting these numbers from? Because these are not true. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 5.2 billion people that uh, came to see uh, Messi come on as a sub in the, in the game on Apple TV. Actually, I was talking about the social media numbers. And I mean, so, so that's the thing, though, too, is like when people say this and they're interviewed by Columbus Dispatch or interviewed by CBS Miami, and they're saying information which is categorically not true, someone needs to call them out on it or ask them about it. Okay, can you share those numbers? Give us some more details about that. Because just because, which is fantastic, right, in terms of that goal that Messi scored, um, you know, both in the Cruz Azul game and in the game against Atlanta United, I mean, many goals so far, is those are fantastic social media moments. But that does not mean that those people are watching the games. They're just watching social media clips. And we've seen from Wrexham, <laughs> Wrexham right? The, right? Wrexham had a ton, ton of people, millions of people watching the clips of uh, Ben Foster making that save in the last minute in that game, which helped them get promoted. How many people actually were watching that game streaming on National League TV? Probably, I don't know, 10,000 people. But the, the actual social media players got, I think, over 10 million or, or 20 million people watching those. And so you can't base the, 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 the I mean, the actual viewership on social media well, views of clips. social media is a driver. I mean, again, uh, for sure. to talk about, uh, to restate my, my trip out to, to Alabama this past weekend for the Gulf Coast Premier League final, uh, the only moment in English football the entire season that was talked about by people at that game was Ben Foster's save. So Wrexham, through social media, is reaching an audience that maybe aren't watching the Premier League. I mean, so, so I, I do see some value in, in what uh, Rangan might be saying, but at the same time, it's categorically false because they're, they're, they're using the verbiage or the language of television ratings and viewership and uh, these sorts of uh, things that, that, we, that we have always accustomed with, with, with viewership for linear television, which... Very plainly, very clearly, I'll restate, that game against Cruz Azul had far fewer viewers on linear television than the U.S.-Vietnam game in the United States. Now, there might have been billions of people watching uh, Apple TV in other territories. We don't know. We'll never know. But in the United States, there were more people watching the U.S.-Vietnam game at the exact same time. Right, exactly. So, so I mean... Again, Messi is having an impact on Major League Soccer, on Liga Max, uh, and on social media, and on soccer in this country, for sure. But we have to kind of keep those numbers in check a little bit in terms of, you mean, not get too far ahead of ourselves, not go exaggerating how, how huge and amazing this is. Um, it's funny, too. I'm, I'm not sure if you caught this, uh, Kartik. Uh, Craig Burley came back from ESPN from a vacation on ESPN FC. And I think Kay Murray asked him, like, so what do you think about Messi Mania? Like, 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 isn't this amazing? Like, what, what's what's your take take on it? <laughs> and, and, and I think he was I mean, he was just being honest. He was like, well, yeah, this is great for Inter Miami. More people are going to be watching those games and buying tickets. But but what does it mean for the rest of the league? Is is it does it mean that people are going to sign up for MLS season pass to watch those other games? Right. To watch uh, Colorado uh, Rapids or 
FC Dallas or Seattle Sounders or whoever. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what the big big problem. Sorry to cut you off, Chris, but this just occurred to me. With the with so many social media clips of Messi's uh, uh, heroics for Inter Miami circulating so freely, it may actually undercut Apple's ability to get people to sign up for uh, for MLS season pass if their only interest is in Messi and Busquets, which I think you and I suspect is the case with a lot of people. No, that's a great point. That's a really good point. There was an article this week, actually, I think, uh, I can't remember which publication, talking about highlights in general where, you mean, younger age groups are, they don't have the the time or patience to watch a complete sports game, like a soccer game. So they consume highlights. And you're you're right, Kartik, those highlights are available usually within a minute of, of a goal going in. And MLS is doing a great job of kind of, you mean, distributing those which is helping to promote and grow the number of followers they have but also the awareness about here this is what's happening but at the detriment of probably people not signing up for the service sometimes no that's a great point Kartik yeah this is also why I think so many U.S. fans overrate our men's players but that's a subject for another day because they're just watching highlights and they don't watch full games and they think uh, (laughs) these guys are world beaters when in fact they're just kind of journeyman players but anyway continue Well, we saw a perfect example of that this week was uh, Serginio Dest, who uh, was playing in the friendly um, this week and got completely, I mean, he looked awful, really, really bad. It was was actually El Clasico. It was Barcelona against Real Madrid, and Vinny Jr. just really, I mean, made him look like an amateur level in terms of uh, his defending skills. And now Barcelona says that they're planning on releasing him, that uh, no clubs are are interested in signing him. Uh, and he's gone on a path. You mean, he's played in it, Italy. He played in the Netherlands. Yeah, he went to Barcelona. Yeah, there were people who told me he was better than Kyle Walker. I'm not kidding. There were U.S. fans who told me this. I, I, I mean, I just, I, I don't want to start on this, but anyway. <laughs> All right, before we, before we move on, Kartik, a couple of things here too. Um, we're getting more details, and, and I'm sure we'll have an article at worldsoccertalk.com with more details. But uh, it's, we've got some good news. Uh, the Bundesliga, which is starting, I think, next week, is going to have its own whip-around show. So it's going to be going to be the Bundesliga uh, conference, and it's going to be on ESPN Plus. So for those nine thirty a.m. kickoff games, where there's usually what about six games happening at the same time, they will have a whip around show, which I think is incredible. I think it's amazing. I mean, that's perfect, um, and yeah, it's been long needed. But I wonder, Kartik, is there any league right now? I guess Serie A. Serie A is the only one that's a major league that doesn't have it, that probably needs it. Actually, La Liga too, right? La Liga and Serie A, although a lot of the games are staggered kickoff times. Yeah, that's the problem with both those leagues. Yeah. So, I mean, Serie A sometimes have a bunch of games on Sunday mornings happening at the same time. But um, but anyway, for the Bundesliga fans like yourself and and others, I I think this is a great move and this is going to help increase the awareness and, and, and increased viewership of, of Bundesliga games on ESPN+. Yeah, I think it's really much needed because even for me, I'm, I'm fiddling between the games at that uh, 3.30 local time, 9.30 Eastern time kickoff. So um, I've had, uh, I, I, I've at times will admit now this, now that I'll never have to do it again, I have gone and found pirated streams of the, of the Bundesliga conference in, in the past. Uh, not recently, but in uh, several years ago because, you uh, 
that's the only way to see everything simultaneously. Right, unless you have the multi-view on the Apple TV, and then you can have four games on the screen at one time. Although that, I mean, yeah, it's fantastic to do that, but sometimes it's just, it's so hard to follow. It's it's better to have someone guide you through a whip around show going, okay, all right, we're going to break away from this coverage of uh, Bayer Leverkusen, and we're now going to go over to a game with, you mean, Mainz or Freiburg or whatever it may be, because something amazing just happened. That that in many ways i think is a is a better experience to watch for for as a viewer less stressful sometimes too um so that's good news championship kartik it uh, comes back on friday august 4th um sheffield wednesday in action right i believe it is uh in against southampton in the first game of the season um you and i both uh, gave our predictions of who will get promoted and uh uh, the final tables uh, of uh, 1 through 24 uh, for the English Championship. And uh, those you can find at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, we have the news today, that now that we're recording this, that Tom Brady is now a, um, a major investor in Birmingham City, uh, who my team, Swansea City, plays uh, this Saturday. Who I picked but... to be relegated in, the, in that preview. So, <laughs> so I'm already wanting to change my predictions. <laughs> I think I predicted that they'd get relegated too. I think, or, or at least like kind of one away from from the, the drop. But uh, but yeah, so so it's back. I mean, you. I mean, obviously, for those people who don't know, uh, you appear on Talk Sport throughout the year as really kind of the English Championship experts on Talk Sport Radio. Uh, oftentimes on Thursday nights or Friday nights, sometimes uh, late at night. Well, not late at night UK time, but but. Uh, Eastern time is like what, like seven o'clock or nine o'clock or ten o'clock, depending on what time it is. Um, so, so what's your level of interest in the championship coming back uh, this weekend, and and what are some of the stories that you're looking ahead to and, and getting excited about? Yeah, quite high. Um, I uh, I was on Talksport last night actually to talk about uh, the season coming up. Although we focused more on League One and Wrexham, not surprisingly, uh, Wrexham is in the UK also a huge story. Um, the the big thing I'm looking at is Middlesbrough. I think uh, full season under Michael Carrick with the system of play and keeping that team pretty much together. Uh, I think they are going to give the newly relegated teams a real run for their money. Uh, I think Leicester City has uh, done their business early, right? So their outgoings, Harvey Barnes, James Madison, uh, Tailmonds, the three standout players on the team, really. But um, they got them out the door early. They're not affecting the camp. I think uh, they've got uh, kind of a solid squad. I don't know what's going to happen with the other two new, re- uh, newly relegated teams. Uh, Leeds still have not gotten some of the guys out the door. They need to get out the door. Uh, I, I'm not even sure that they have the grit or the fight to, to compete in the championship, uh, although I still kind of, just based on talent, put them in the top six. Southampton have the Lavia situation. Uh, I, uh, I I think you might have some opinions about their manager, Russell Martin. Um I, I do think another storyline to watch this season uh, is is whether or not we see Watford, Norwich, uh, and West Brom, these traditional yo-yo teams now that have uh, had a couple of seasons down in the championship, whether one of them is able to pop back up. I think Norwich has the best chance uh, of, uh, of that group. I'm not uh, that high on this Watford team. I, I think uh, they've, they've, 
held together a lot of the, the, the talent they have, but it's just too dysfunctional situation. West Brom, maybe, maybe West Brom can push forward. So those, that's, those are really the storylines I'm looking at. Uh, relegation wise, I think uh, uh, you're, you're probably going to see a situation where um, both Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday who have come up uh, from, uh, from league one are, are, are really strong enough to maybe be mid table, which is going to pull some teams that have been in the championship for a couple of seasons into a relegation fight and potentially uh, towards relegation. Yeah, for me, the stories I'm most in- interested in are the new managers at uh, Leicester, Southampton and Leeds and how they do in the championship because uh, you know players have come in and, and, and gone out, but uh, how will those managers adapt and carry on those clubs? I mean, because they're, they're going to definitely benefit from parachute payments and uh, Leeds now with new owners, with the San Francisco 49ers, taking over the majority ownership. I mean, I mean, how much money are they going to invest in the, in the club? Um, and also, too, I mean, with the transfer window, too, the transfer window isn't shut yet. So it's always difficult to make predictions before the season begins because the, you know, the window doesn't close until, what, the end of August. So lots can, can change there. But overall, though, too, what I would say about the championship is, yet again, it's completely unpredictable. I mean, I think a lot of people last season were saying that Luton Town had a chance of getting relegated, and there they go, and get uh, get promoted, which that is going to be an incredible story to watch uh, in the Premier League, uh, in that tiny Kenilworth ground stadium, uh, which I think is going to be the smallest ground ever for a Premier League team. Uh, and not only is it small, but it's antiquated um, beyond belief. So so that that's what I'm looking at, is um, just the unpredictability and uh, watching a lot of those games as usual on ESPN Plus, and then uh, for those games that are not on ESPN Plus, subscribing to iFollow to to pay. Uh, I think I'm going to just pay on a per game basis and, and then see how things go. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's always exciting. It's great to have the fans back, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching some championship football this weekend, as well as I'm sure League's Cup and and some Women's World Cup and, and much more. So, Kartik, we're going to uh, bypass and skip the uh, listener mailbag uh, this week, but we'll be back next week to read out your comments. So, listeners, if you do have any questions for us or any things, uh, any you want to discuss anything that we have mentioned on this podcast, let us know. We would love to hear from you. There's a bunch of different ways to reach out to us. Uh, one of them is voicemail, which you can, you can leave at 561-247-4625. We're also available through uh, email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can leave a message there. Twitter, you can add us or X. God, <laughs> you can X us. <laughs> you can X us at, at uh, worldsoccertalk and, and uh, let us know if it's a comment for the podcast. And then uh, what else is that? YouTube.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can leave comments there. And, of course, the website, worldsoccertalk.com. You can click on the podcast um, navigation item in, in the the main nav bar and then just leave a comment in the most recent episode, and we, we would love to read that out on a future episode. Kartik, uh, what's happening at Beyond the 90, and where can listeners uh, reach out to you through Beyond the 90 and, and social media? Yeah, uh, thanks. Beyond the 90, I, I, we're doing some reporting on internal politics and controversies within NPSL. Other than that, I think we're in complete Women's World Cup mode. So uh, really not 
uh, jumping into the men's game other than that NPSL thing currently. Although uh, with the championship starting, I think we probably are going to have to fire back up our around the EFL segment. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I will still call it that, even though I know it's X. It, it really bothers me when I see the X icon in my on my phone, honestly. It's just like, what is this? Um, but I'm at KKFLA737. And of course, uh, you might want to check out our, our, our championship projections uh, at worldsoccertalk.com because I'm I have a hunch, uh, Chris, because you're right. This is the most competitive division in, in world football, really, that we probably will be wrong with all our predictions. That's just the way the championship goes. Right. Yeah, which is what makes it so great. And um, one more thing, too, another shout out there, too, is for those of you who play Fantasy Premier League. Uh, we have a private league set up. So if you just Google it and say Fantasy Premier League World Soccer Talk dot com, you can find that. So you can. Uh, join that. It's free. Uh, and then pick your your fantasy squad for the Premier League season. I've already been putting some names in there. Uh, Onana is one player I'm really excited about for Manchester United. And uh, of course, there's going to be some transfers in and out, but um, that's always fun. Do you, do you play that one, Kartik, or do you play a different fantasy uh, Premier League game? I'm in, a, I'm in a really competitive league that might have promotion and relegation this year, starting this <laughs> year, and, and 20 teams so and, and money. So I'm preparing for the draft on Sunday. Actually, I be- have to begin to prepare for it. And then I probably will jump into our league also, uh, but it's, it's, it's done a little differently. But, I mean, my league is done through not through the Premier League website, but just a, a different service. And I'm thinking – uh, there are a lot of guys that might be undervalued. Uh, Kai Havertz might be one of them, as much as I bashed him in the past at Chelsea. I think he uh, he's going to fit into the system Arteta has and the style Arteta has much better than the rotating managers and rotating players around him at Chelsea uh, allowed him to be. So uh, so keep an eye on him. I, I'm I'm planning on drafting him if I get the chance, by the way. Interesting. Yeah, the one thing I before we go, the one thing I do love about Fantasy Premier League is by having the ability to watch a lot of uh, preseason friendlies. So whether it's uh, the Soccer Champions Tour or some of these other games are played in the United States, oftentimes it gives us a good opportunity to see some of these players um, before most people in, in England and, and, and elsewhere around the world get to see them. And so sometimes the prices are undervalued uh, before the season begins. And then all of a sudden they score a hat trick on opening day, and then the, the I mean the price just skyrockets. So uh, I kind of use, be, use it. Go ahead. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, yeah, I was done. Go I, ahead. I was going to say be careful with that because I've done that in the past because I've seen guys in preseason games. I've gotten cute in my draft, and then a couple of weeks later had to kind of re- reconfigure my team. So it can go both <laughs> ways. Yeah, I, I think I remember many years ago, Andres, uh, Andres uh, Townsend putting him in saying like, oh my God, he's going to be like firing up the Premier same, League. Same with him, exactly. <laughs> and he's then he didn't get much, right. <laughs> All right, listeners. Well, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, we hope you're enjoying your summer vacation or summer summer days in the heat, no matter where you are in the world. And uh, we'll be back next week. And before you know it, it's going to be the Premier League starting again, as well as the other European seasons. But this weekend, it's the Championship and it's Leagues Cup, it's Women's World Cup and much, much more. Kartik, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.